Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We've had a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, I apologize for leaving you uh, for the last three weeks. Uh, one week I was on vacation. Second week I was uh, in Cleveland for all-star festivities. And uh, week number three, I was moving across the country. So uh, it's been three weeks, but I promise I will not leave you again. I'm back. We're back. And uh, we look forward to podcasting all sorts of good stuff here as we get into trade deadline, playoff runs, minor league uh, runs for the postseason are coming up. Uh, but most recently, we did a top 100 update here at Baseball America, our midseason update, where we put in all the most recent draft picks. I'm joined today by our peerless editor, uh, J.J. Cooper, to discuss some of the changes we made and why some guys moved up, why some guys moved down, and really what kind of the rationale was behind it and some of the scout feedback we received. Uh, pull back the curtain a little bit for you, our, uh, our subscribers. We're very grateful for. J.J., first and foremost, uh, before we get into the nitty-gritty, Big picture, what about this top 100 update really stood out to you the most? Well, um, the first thing I would say is, is that it does feel better. You know, it's nice to have the, uh, the college uh, uh, you know, draftees and the high school draftees added to this because, you know, we have been saying on the podcast how, look, we, you do not graduate Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Fernando Tatis, I mean, going back just a little bit, Ronald Acuna, Joey Otani, and just say, okay, no big deal. The guys who are placing them are just as good. No, I mean, that's not really the case. But I feel a lot better about this top five now. Um, you know, this is a, a pretty, pretty potent top five. I do feel overall that the, uh, the talent is still not what it was, you know, coming into the year or especially what it was coming into last year. Again, it's going to be really hard to beat a top five like that. But I do feel better about it. And you look at this right now and I'd say, you know, hey, top 20, top 20, top 25, even top 35 are, are really solid. And, you know, after that, it's, it's a good group. It's just not a – I would say it's not as deep as we've had it at some other times. We'll obviously talk about Abley Rutschman, the number one overall pick, slotting in immediately at number five. Uh, but before we do that, I want to jump a little higher on the list. Luis Robert moving up to number three uh, ahead of Mackenzie Gore, the consensus top pitching prospect in baseball. We've talked about this a lot on podcasts or just within our office even, how whenever you have a pitcher and a hitter having essentially the same grade put on them by evaluators, always, always, always take the bat. Just as you kind of assess this situation, Robert's rise, you know, triple A, the grades keep going up, the performance is there. What for you ultimately swung it, you know, putting him ahead of Gore? If you have kind of that top tier elite prospect, we've seen so many, so many examples of how things can go sideways for a top pitching prospect. Now, that doesn't mean they're not going to still produce. They're not going to give you something. But there are so many potential detours for a top pitching prospect compared to a top hitter. 
Like, if you said right now with Luis Robert, do you expect him to play in the big leagues in 2020? I would be very confident. Like, even if you said, like, is he gonna is he gonna log big league games in 2020? Well, there's not a lot of things that can happen at this point. You know, I would say that I would say that there's a 95% chance that Luis Robert is going to play in big league games in 2020. If you said with Mackenzie Gore, who admittedly is one level behind, but if you said, okay, by mid-season, let's say by mid-season 2021, Kyle, what are the chances that Mackenzie Gore is going to have logged, you know, some solid big league innings? I, I think – I think it's a it's a very good chance, but you again you kind of hit on you look even just last year Forrest Whitley Jesus Lazardo we would have said at this point last year oh it'll be you know ninety percent um, but, but you wouldn't but you wouldn't say ninety percent or, or whatever it would have been it would have been a high because number but right and that's whatever you thought the number is it's lower than you what it actually was just because they're a pitcher that's where with Gore right. you can say hey it's all there we think it's all there and clearly we believe in him we're still talking about him as the number four prospect in all of baseball the number one pitching prospect. But you're right, the probability, just because the fact he is a pitcher, really does kind of, you know, lower it below what Roberts is. If you I said right now, what is my probability that Max Scherzer is going to throw significant innings in the big leagues in 2020? I think the maximum you could go on that is like 90% for a guy who is one of the best pitchers in baseball at this moment. Because, and one of the most durable. Right, and one of the most durable but you literally never know with pitchers. And again, it's not just like we've seen with Jesus Luzardo, who it's a, you know, it's been injuries that have really slowed him down. That's not what we've seen with Forrest Whitley. I know he spent time on the IL. I cannot find anyone in any organization, you know, other organization who really thinks that that was a significant uh, health problem, but I mean, we're, we're going to see him in Fayetteville not, in the not-too-distant future, it sounds like. But the reality of it is, is, in his case, it's just ineffectiveness this year. You know, then you have, like, look back Alex Reyes in 20, you know, if we were talking coming into the 2016 season where, you know, he was coming off of a very good year where he finished in double-A, which is kind of the McKenzie Gore track, I guess is what you would put it, as far as developmentally. You know, if you just said that he would have 53 innings in the big leagues four years later, we never would have imagined that. But again, it's a pitcher, so you have to worry about those kind of things. You compare that to Luis Robert. And Luis Robert, by the way, again, I don't want to get too much caught up in the talking about the potential of injured pitchers. I, I want to talk about Luis Robert and just the simply outstanding season that he is having. Now, there are some things in it where you say, okay, in an ideal world, you'd like to see him walking a little bit more considering how dangerous he is. You know, you know he's, he's reached the upper levels where walks are more a function of approach and, than they are just pitchers unable to find the zone. He's not walking a ton, but it's, that's really about the only nitpick that you can make on an athletic outfielder who is – Know, hitting for power, stealing bases, hitting for he, he's hitting 355. You know, he's doing, you know, he's doing everything this year. And this was obviously a guy who, you know, coming in, you know, when he was coming out of Cuba, he was considered 
basically a uh, uh, you know an absolutely outstanding prospect, and he's living up to those expectations after let's just you know put it out there just a uh, a really disappointing very injury plagued 2018 season. He's shown those injuries are behind him. He's shown he can stay healthy, and he's shown he can dominate. And I want to reiterate the point you're making. You know, this isn't a function of, oh, Mackenzie Gore is a pitcher, so we have to drop him. This is Luis Robert deserves to be up here. And as I mentioned in the intro here, if you have the same grade on two guys, and, and the same grade is on Mackenzie Gore and Luis Robert throughout the industry, you know, every team's going to have differences in general. But on the whole, teams across the game have the same grade on these guys. You're going to take the position player over the pitcher every time. And the other part of that, too, is – Robert's now a level higher. So the combination of position player and level higher, it really swung it in his favor in terms of, okay, let's get him up here ahead of Gore um, in that regard. And again, these are two studs. These are two top five prospects. This is not in any way, shape, or form meant to demean how good we think Mackenzie Gore is or can be. Uh, it's more just a testament to Luis Robert and kind of the nature of, of the position player versus pitcher conundrum in today's game. Um, Rounding out the top five was Adley Rutschman. And as we kind of made our calls to evaluators and front office officials around the game, uh, had a lot of in-person looks at him at, as a staff ourselves, and really kind of talked about, okay, what's the grade on him? Where does he fit in this top 10? The more we did work-wise on it, it was pretty clear this was a guy who was going to be in the top five. It was just a matter, is he number three? Is he number four? Is he number five? Uh, we ultimately went with five because, after all, he has not played a professional game yet. And the four guys. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, well, now he has. Now he has. At the time of this ranking, he had not. By the time we finalized this. <laughs> He's already homered. You are correct. At the time we finalized this ranking, he had not. That said, we still think he's the number five prospect in all of baseball. We heard a lot running up into the draft about just how good this guy could be, both offensively and defensively. Uh, I got the Chris Bryant bat Austin Hedges defense uh, comp. Even if he falls short of that, he's still a perennial all-star. How confident were you putting him, you know, number five immediately here in his first ranking after being drafted? I mean, I know it's aggressive. I know it is. But the cautionary tale for it, if you're trying to find a cautionary tale, is every year there are players who they make that transition from amateur ball to pro ball and we get it every year where pro scouts are saying, wait, what? Why? What, you know, what are we missing? What, did, what was this guy showing in amateur ball that, that we do not see in pro ball? You heard that a lot about Mark Appel, correct? As soon as he came Mark out? Mark Appel is one that will always stick in my head with that, yes. Like, literally three different pro scouts his first year in the Midwest League who are like, I was expecting, you know, 1-1. One, one. I've seen guys who are 1-1 one, one before. This isn't 1-1. One, one. I, to, you know, Mickey Moniak is another guy who you got that on. And the answer on that one was there was no clear 1-1 one, one that year. But, like, again, not that they didn't think Mickey Moniak was a solid player, but it's like, this is not what I expect with a 1-1. One, one. I have – I would be shocked if we hear that about Abby Rushman. And we haven't yet. I mean, again, he's played, like – he's literally playing his second, I think, second game. And our Josh Norris is down there seeing it. So maybe his third game, you know, today. Um, you know. I would be shocked if we hear that. The defense, the athleticism, and the hitting ability are all, are all in ways where, let's say that in every single one of those, the amateur scouts, and we, 
you understand when we say this, if you're a more casual fan, pro scouts, amateur scouts. I know, I apologize to many of our listeners who absolutely know this, but just to make it clear for some people who may not, pro scouts are, scouts are professional scouts that get paid to do this who scout professional games. And amateur scouts are scouts who are professional. They're paid to do this by clubs, but they scout amateur games. So we're not saying that pro scouts are at this higher class than amateur scouts. That's not what we're saying. But people who saw him and when we scouted him as an amateur were extremely confident in all these things. But let's say that everyone was over aggressive by a grade on everything that Badly was. If it's across the board, he's one grade worse, he's still going to be an exceptional player. If across the board, he is two grades worse than what he is projected by the many scouts we have talked to, he's still going to play in the big leagues a very long time. Would, you know, is there any part of that that you disagree with? No, not at all. I mean, again, if, if he's two grades worse than what's expected, then, hey, guess what? He's a, uh, hitting 20 bombs and playing everyday caliber defensive catcher. I mean, that, that's two grades worse. And maybe if you were being a really a, a scout who was really cautious, you know, on him or less bullish, four power, maybe. Well, I would say the, yeah. the risk would be more four hit, five power. Maybe he's two, 240 with 20 bombs playing everyday caliber defense. With the state of catching today, that's a really good – that's still an everyday player who's maybe one, still one of the and top half of catchers in baseball. One an example – I mean, that's really kind of like, uh, you know, I would say that's what Matt Wieters was. Matt Wieters really kind of, a, you know, you could say that he was a grade less of a hitter than, than maybe even two grades less than what was kind of hoped or expected when he kind of reached the big leagues. But even with that, Matt Wieters was a player who, you know, who's already logged over a thousand games in the big leagues, who's, you know, made it to four all-star teams, won two gold gloves, that's what we're talking about is, is that even if he – the floor on Adley Rushman, barring some kind of catastrophic injury, is really good. And that's why he's a number five prospect in baseball right off the bat. Uh, rounding out the top ten, one of the more interesting developments was Jordan Alvarez being moved into the top ten. Now, JJ, you've been on Jordan uh, for a long time. Uh, you're a big reason why Baseball America has had him consistently higher on their prospect list than uh, – most others uh, in the industry. And a lot of that's just because the quality of contact. You know, we go back and forth on this so often where people obsess about, oh, is he going to stick it short? Oh, what's his defensive value? And I'll repeat this and bang the table on this the day I die. Nothing, and I mean nothing, matters as much as does he hit the ball hard and does he hit the ball frequently? If you can do, do those two things, you are not only an everyday player in the major leagues, you're an impact everyday player in the major leagues, and teams will find a spot for you. Alvarez has consistently posted some of the highest exit velocities in the minors with very low out-of-zone chase rates. All the things you want to see. He takes balls, he swings at strikes, and when he swings at strikes, he hits them hard and he hits them a long way. And we've seen that play in the majors at a level now where he is in the middle of the order for a team that is just off the best record in baseball. He's going to be an impact player for a team that has a World Series ambitions as a rookie as such, he's up in the top 10 of our, uh, of our top 10 uh, for the interim until he graduates. Uh, JJ, we can just look back on Jordan Alvarez. When did you realize, okay, there's something here more than, you know, essentially what the Dodgers traded to get Josh Fields, and this could be this level of hitter? 
Well, let me first say, uh, clearly it was not uh, the week after he was traded. I think I did a ranking of the players traded at the deadline, and I had him quite low on that. Um, you know, he was at the time considered, you know, a big, uh, you know, athletic for his size, but kind of big dude who, you know, maybe would hit and had basically no pro experience. In hindsight, he was one of the best guys traded at that deadline. But that next year, um, not only did he have a great start before he kind of was slowed by some wrist injuries, but it was the way he was doing it. Um, you know, all field approach. And I am a sucker for opposite field power alley power. Like, and again, now there are different ways to get to that. <laughs> if you're talking about a player who all they can do is hit to the opposite field, they just don't have the ability. Their swing will not let them pull an inside pitch. You know, they can be busted in with fastballs. Well, that's not what we're talking about here. But to date myself, I'm talking about the Mike Piazza ability to basically, you have the strength to where if they try to go away from you, you can drive the ball to the opposite power alley for power, for homers. And that's something that Jordan Alvarez always had. Like if he actually had a, a fault, you know, early on in his Astros career, it was that he maybe was a little too oppo heavy, you know, like with his approach. But I, I, I know it is a pull-oriented game. You're looking, you know, nowadays we look for, for players who can do damage. And a lot of times doing damage is pulling the ball, getting a pitch that you can yank for a homer. That said, players who can hit the ball in the air hard and it has enough carry to carry out, you know, to the opposite gap, that is something that is generally to me special. And also – you combine that with a batting eye, and then you have uh, something pretty special. He has 34 homers already. You know, we're sitting here recording this uh, on two RBIs, RBIs, not home runs. No, he has, 30, he has 34 oh, homers this Majors year. and minors. Okay, okay. So yes, he, he has 34 homers this year, which is crazy. I was you referencing know? the 35 RBIs uh, in 30 games he put up. Uh, yes. That has just uh, surpassed Albert Pujols' record for most RBIs in the first 30 games of a career. Right. He's done that. In 86 games, though, this year, he, again, AAA ball is the major league ball, which is insane. But 34 homers, and it's still in July, and he's only played 86 games, is utterly absurd. He's drawing a, you know, gobs of walks, which he should. People fear him, and if they don't come to him, it's something where he should take his walk. He's doing that. But hitting for power like he is, you know, it, it is one of those things where you talk about a team that was already very good when they had Tyler White getting a lot of DH at-bats. How much better is this? Now that they're getting kind of some of their big guys back from injury as well, but how much better is this team with Jordan Alvarez at DH compared to Tyler White? Well, Tyler White got DFA'd, and, I mean, Jordan yep. has taken his spot. Um, and, again, you know, I, I want to emphasize this too. It's not just, ooh, he can hit the ball a long way. We're falling in love with that. He controls the strike zone. He hits for average. He gets on base. He does every little thing you need to do to be a complete, impactful, middle-of-the-order hitter. This isn't an all-or-nothing guy. Uh, he's hitting singles. He's hitting a lot of doubles. He's walking. His strikeouts are not insane for a power hitter. Like It's all around just a complete impact hitter who destroys baseballs and is a guy that, you know, when he comes up to the plate, 
you know he has a chance to change the game with one swing every time up, and, and he's, he's doing it uh, more often than not. Uh, moving out of the top 10, I, I want to hit on some more of the draft picks we got in here. Um, I do want to highlight two very fast risers into the top 20. Uh, Gavin Lux and Christian Pache were two guys we highlighted coming into the season, had a chance to rise. Uh, Lux continues to do all everything right at the plate, make every adjustment. Pache as well uh, continues to grow as a hitter. Uh, once we move past them, figuring out where to slot number two, Bobby Witt Jr., was, was an interesting discussion here within our office. Um, when you go back to the draft, you know, Adley Rushman was the clear number one. He was tier one. He was on his own. He was the guy. Bobby Witt and Andrew Vaughn at 2-3 were very close. You could very well have put Andrew Vaughn as the number two prospect on the board and Witt number three. There were a lot of teams who did. Uh, and as such, they're pretty close together in this top 100 update. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr. checking in at number 21. From your perspective, what made him – essentially number 21 behind the guys he's behind ahead of the guys he's ahead. And, and most notably the guy he checks in ahead of is, is Royce Lewis, who was the number one overall pick uh, previously for the twins two years ago. Uh, how did you kind of stack up Bobby Witt as you were going through this process? I, I thought it was really useful for that. We're going to shout out to Carlos Galazzo, our, uh, our main draft guy who was uh, part of the meeting. And, you know, he just laid out, he just made the points like, look, I mean, we, we still are big Royce Lewis fans. We believe that he's going to be a very solid big leaguer. At the same time, let's start with, you have to acknowledge that Royce Lewis this season this year, I mean, bad. Like, for a guy who was returning to the Florida State League after spending the last month and a half, two months of the season there last year, to come back and basically struggle to post a 300 OBP in that league is, is concerning. You know, it's something where there are signs that he has work to do. That's the starting point. But what he kind of laid out is, is, hey, yeah, Royce Lewis went 1-1, Bobby went, you know, Junior went 2. But if you match them up kind of contemporaneously where Royce Lewis was coming into his draft and where Bobby Witt was coming, or let's just say coming out of his draft, Bobby Witt Jr. was considered, you know, was more highly regarded. Royce Lewis, they're both very good shortstop prospects, but Bobby Witt Jr.'s tools are a little bit louder, and there is a, you know, even maybe slightly more track record there than there was with Royce Lewis. And so if you're talking about, okay, where do you slot them? It's actually kind of a perfect spot to say, we think that these are kind of very similar group because obviously the difference between 20 and 21 is a very small difference. Um, but the other thing with that is, is you say, okay, if Lewis had made it, had set high A on fire this year and then moved to double A, well, you would have the kind of performance component this year to go with the tools and you would, he'd still be a top 10 prospect. He doesn't have that right now. In a whole lot of years, with no Adley Rushman in this draft, Bobby Witt Jr. would have been a clear number one pick and everyone would have been very happy with Bobby Witt Jr. as the number one. He was a 1-1 type talent. That gets him the very aggressive ranking coming in. Now, Andrew Vaughn is not a traditional 1-1 thing. He's a first base, first baseman, college first baseman, basically don't go 1-1. That said, he was also considered one of the best in college baseball in several years. There are very lofty expectations for him. And again, so he gets an aggressive assignment as well. Um, both of those are players who have shown 
that they should get very aggressive, but yeah, considering where they were regarded. Yeah. And again, these were these were two guys who are considered impact level guys. We talked about this draft in general was seen as look not the deepest draft by any stretch, but the group at the top was very very strong, uh, and we see that with the three uh, top picks all slotting in as top twenty five prospects immediately. Again, some of that is a little bit what you talked about the prospect crop right now. If you compare it to where it was last year, it is a little bit weaker. But the Bobby Royce Lewis conundrum was was interesting for me just because. You know, I did a lot of work on Royce Lewis leading up to the draft coming out of Southern California, obviously. And, and you have to remember, Royce Lewis was an absolute, you know, top three, top five level talent. He was really good. Uh, but he wasn't the best player in that class. You know, the Twins took him to save some money. Uh, they had approached Brendan McKay about being 1-1, couldn't agree to a deal there. Um, it wasn't like Lewis was like, oh, this is our number one pick. You know, we all have him there. It was, a, it was an underslot deal type of situation. Um, Again, excellent, excellent player. I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, it's just there's no question I think that Bobby Witt coming out of his draft, you know, having been a part of both kind of drafts now for Baseball America, uh, there's no question Witt was considered higher coming out of his draft than Lewis was coming out of his, even though Lewis went first overall. Um, and, again, that's not a knock on Royce Lewis. That's just a testament to how good Bobby Witt Jr. is. Um, Lewis did fall, as we mentioned. He's been in the teens. He's been in the top ten at certain points. He struggled to hit this year, and you know we ran a stock watch on this uh, in the midseason issue. I encourage you to pick it up on newsstands now. Uh, you know, coming out of high school, everyone loved you know Royce Lewis's athleticism. Everyone loved his makeup. Uh, everyone loved his ability to perform. He'd always performed at high levels against top competition. That senior year, he didn't hit very well. The first half, he really turned on the second half, but. I remember talking to some amateur scouts and the level of conviction that Royce Lewis will hit was not overly high for a guy that was going to go as high as he was in the draft. I, you would, it wasn't too hard to find some scouts who said, no, I, I can't get there with him just in terms of belief in the bat. Uh, he, with him struggling this year, Josh Norris reached out to some scouts in the Florida State League who just said, do you believe in Royce Lewis's bat? It was a lot of hemming and hawing. And I think it was actually good for me to see him at the Futures game because his bat looked great there. So you know it's in there. You know, he's still young. He's, he's in a very tough league for hitters. There's a lot of things to still feel bullish about. But I do think it's worth pointing out that the concern is the bat. And if there has been a concern about Royce Lewis's game, that has been the concern for a couple of years now. It's not like this has come out of nowhere. And I want to emphasize, we're saying all this, we clearly believe in Royce Lewis. That's why he's number 22 on this list. Um, you know, we were talking about the things he needs to work on, needs to fix. Again, you're still talking about a premium athlete. You're still talking about a, an exceptional human being. And, and there is a lot of optimism. Hey, this is the, the type of kid who has both the athleticism and the aptitude to make the changes he needs to make. So again, I, I want to emphasize, well, we're just trying to pull back the curtain. Okay, why did he drop? This does not mean he's, you know, quote unquote, not good anymore. Clearly, he's still one of the top 25 prospects in baseball. He is an elite young talent. It's just where he stacks up, the level of conviction compared to some of the other guys. It has dropped compared to some of the guys above him on the list, uh, including his teammate Alex Kirilov, who uh, Josh Norris, who did the Twins midseason update for us, uh, has now number one in that system after talking to scouts both inside and outside the organization. Uh, JJ, moving down outside the top 25, Three guys who rose pretty high up, uh, Dustin May with the Dodgers, Dylan Carlson with the Cardinals, Luis Patino with the Padres. Uh, May and Patino were in the top 100 to begin the year. Uh, Carlson was not, uh, but Carlson made it in pretty quickly early on. 
we've seen all three of these guys just just run up. They in the futures game looked ridiculous. 98 mile an hour sinkers. I've been getting some Kevin Brown comps on the sinker. Um, you know, he's been great. Luis Patino has been, you know, fantastic. He as well looked fantastic in the futures game. And and Dylan Carlson, uh, there's always a lot of talk about his baseball IQ. It's just okay. And he, you know, physically fill out and the body catches up and uh, it did this year. What gave you the confidence to run them up? Not just, you know, a couple spots, but in all cases, I believe all these guys made at least 10 spot jumps. And I think it was 20 spot jumps for some of these guys as well. We've been getting really, really positive reports on Carlson all year. A very aggressive, you know, kind of jump to start the season and just handled it very well. It's just the, the height of the floor with him is what stands out more than anything. It's just that, with Carlson, it's that he does everything well. Yes, there's no, there's no weakness in his game. And it's kind of funny to me how that has almost become seen as like a negative. Oh, he's, you know, super well-rounded, as if that's a bad thing because there's no plus tool. You know, Carlson does have a plus tool. There are scouts who believe there's plus power down in there. But, okay, so a guy hits for average, hits for power, runs the base as well, plays good defense and has an arm that's a weapon. Like, that's a really good player um, on a lesser, lesser level of this would have been like a guy like Brian Reynolds, who, you know, within the office, I've been the higher guy on for years. Like guys, like I understand people don't seem to think there's a 70 grade tool in there, but he does everything. Well, he, he, he's a good baseball player and there, and to be able to do everything at an above average level in the major leagues, you are a world-class athlete. And I think sometimes that gets lost as much as the carrying tools are, are, are really nice to have. You know, in Reynolds' case, he does have a carrying tool. It's the most important one, his, his hitting ability. And in Carlson's case, if you're an above-average hitter with potential plus power, you're in great shape, and then you do everything else well as well. Like, you are a, an above-average, everyday major leaguer and possibly more. Uh, and that's why talking to evaluators around the game, they say, yeah, you know, this, they feel like this is the best guy in that system. I uh, got that both internally and externally uh, in the Cardinals system. Um, but on top of that, it was always a, a real sense of, you know, the combination of this guy's physical ability and his ability to just, you know, process information, have all, make all the right decisions. The instincts are, are super. There's a really high level of confidence that this guy is a, a major leaguer and even just an, an everyday major leaguer. And again, if you're an everyday major leaguer on a first division team like the Cardinals probably are, you're a really, really good ball player. Um, and, and so there's just such a high level of confidence that Carlson has all the tools and attributes to become that, um, that it, it was kind of a no brainer to, to get him up there. And, and there's a chance he can become more too. And that's where I think this whole floor ceiling debate gets lost sometimes as if it's quote unquote, a bad thing that a guy, you know, does everything well, even if there might not be a crazy tool there. Um, but again, Carlson potentially does with the power and, and you have a sense too that, with the approach, the advanced instincts, all that, everything else is going to play up too where, okay, maybe this physical tool is a 55, but in terms of actual production, which at the end of the day is what matters, he's going to outdo that. Carlson moved up, Gorman moved, Nolan Gorman, who was previously at Cardinals number one prospect, moved down. So kind of uh, take us through that kind of a, a thought process and, and more importantly than the thought process, kind of what were you hearing? Sure. So people still really, really like Nolan Gorman. Again, we have him in the top 50 prospects in all of baseball. The concern with him has been, you know, he's got light tower power. It's just going to be, okay, how much is he going to hit for average? And he was doing it early. Uh, the league adjusted to him in the Midwest League. He 
didn't totally make the adjustment back. Uh, one of the things that came up is, you know, he's sometimes kind of tr trying to yank and crank, you know, trying to artificially create some loft. And it's a lot of values like, dude, you're strong as an ox. You don't need to do this. You can be that complete hitter, keep your shoulder closed, put a nice, easy swing on the ball, and it's going to go a long way. So I think there was just some, some concern there about, you know, okay, how much, you know, how much hit is going to be there uh, at the end? They want to see the adjustments come. Um, again, still a really good player. His third base defense has gotten a lot better. Uh, that was a concern coming into the year. Now no one thinks he, you know, won't be a really good third baseman. Um, you know, again, it's like, okay, what is he at the end of the day? And you get a lot of 250, 260, 30 home runs, really good everyday third baseman. That's a really, really good player. That's Kyle Seeger at his, at his peak. That's an all-star third baseman. Um, but it's not, you know, this level of the superstar, you know, the top third baseman in the game. So that was kind of the sense with Gorman about, okay, we still think he's really good. This is absolutely a guy you can win with. Uh, but he's not that all-star level, you know, perennial all-star level. I should say Kyle Seeger was an all-star. Uh, but that perennial all-star franchise cornerstone level. And that's where we see a lot of these guys in this, uh, you know, 30 to 50 range. Really good first division everyday players who have a chance to be an all-star at the peak of their careers. Um, but it was just this is probably a more appropriate place for him based on just kind of what they think the ultimate hit will be at the end of the day. The thing with all of this, that is always – you know, it, it is both the fun and the difficult part of it. We want to make sure that we're not being reactionary, you know, but at the same time, also not slow walk what we're hearing. Give an example. Let's back it up for a minute and look. Let's just be clear. We may be wrong on this one. If it is, it's on me. Because, I mean, but so we have Forrest Whitley still in our top 10. And since we did that, Forrest Whitley has had one more kind of, quote, rehab start, you know, back at the GCL, you know, and he walked the house. And there's clearly something not, not good. But at the same time, in all of our, in, in, in all of our conversations, you don't get anything of, you know, well, it's a clear problem where the stuff just not the stuff it was. It's it 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 seems like there's you know something else going on, and it was like okay, you know what? He's the same guy, or somewhere in there is the same guy who was the best pitching prospect in baseball potentially coming into the year. Well, let's not overreact. And again, maybe we're being too slow there. At the same time. You know, we also do want to reflect what we're hearing. To go on example the other way, going into we also have posted all of our midseason top 30s. And let me give you an example now. In the midseason top 30s, we were very aggressive with how much Tarek Skubal, the lefty for the Tigers, moved up on the Tigers list. And that comes from, you know, talking to multiple scouts who have seen him this year. And then we had... Justin Coleman, for us, saw him right after. Basically said, hey, we were aggressive. Maybe we weren't aggressive enough. Man, he was good. But it comes from those conversations and saying, no, you know, this is what this guy is now. He's way better than what y'all thought. And he's way better. Let's just make it clear. He's also way better than what the Tigers thought. Like, you know, this guy really had a, a pretty mediocre uh, season at Seattle University last year. And 
as a pro, he's just been exceptional. Well, again, you want to react to that. You don't want to overreact to that, but you do want to react to that. And the biggest version of these reactions, I would almost classify it in there's these kind of three groups. There are the guys whose numbers are excellent and the tools don't seem to match that or vice versa. The example I'll give with that this year is Nick Madrigal. Nick Madrigal statistically is having a season he never strikes out. He's, you know, since he got bumped up to double A, he's, he's been hitting over 350 pretty much his entire time there. Four strikeouts and 131 at-bats. But at the same time, when you talk to the scouts about Nick Madrigal's tools, there are concerns about impact. He's in that tier. Okay, the, the tools and the production are not matching up. And again, there's the flip side of that too, where you have Royce Lewis is the guy who the tools are really loud. The production right now is not matching it. And you have to figure out, but it's like, okay, so those are the, that it doesn't synthesize. The ones that you, you want to react most strongly are, is when the tools and the production both synthesize. Uh, Luis Robert, we talked about, like, Luis Robert has some of the loudest tools in the minors. And you throw on top of that, he's having one of the best seasons in the minors. Mackenzie Gore that you mentioned is doing the same thing. Um, you know, guys like that, you know, but again, to take that, Tarek Skubal, who's, you know, a now fringe of the top 100 guy, he's a guy who... If we were talking right after the draft last year, you would describe him as a guy who he had solid tools at Seattle, but he also walked the house. Uh, you know, he walked a ton of guys. You know, well, I, I, I do think I do want to interject. There's some context here. So Scooball was considered a potential top three rounds pick, and then he had Tommy John surgery. Yep. So that, that's another case where and, then and the then first year back from TJ, he, he wasn't right. Yep. First year back, he wasn't what it was. So that's that's a case here too where the context of a guy matters. And if you understand what he was before TJ and then his first year back from TJ, which we know it normally takes the second full year before you're quote unquote back to what you were, then it also makes more sense. And that's where, again, the context and the background of these guys is important to keep in mind for all of this. Absolutely. And if you put that all together and you say, okay, we want to react really strongly here because statistically he has been performance-wise, he has been exceptional this year. Well, but his also, his tools match that too. When you talk to scouts, there's everything there to, you know, say, okay, this again, okay, so now let's go the other way. Then there's a guy like LeJay Newsom, who's having a, an incredible year. LeJay Newsom, the Mariners, yep. You know, and with him, statistically you look at it and say this is exceptional but then you talk to scouts and there's a lot of skepticism of you know i, I don't know if there's a six here there's in and, a lot of cases not even a five i mean it's, it's 88 to 91 as a right-hander uh, i've seen him uh, this year and so that's where there's concern and so with that you don't want to overreact yet on great numbers again i the comp i give on him is I remember the first half of the season that Ben Lively had when he was coming up through the Reds organization a few years ago. And Ben Lively was very, had very similar numbers in the Cal League before getting bumped up. And hey, Ben Lively made it to the majors, you know, but 
that deception and all that was just, you know, unhittable in the Cal League was not unhittable in the major leagues. So, you know, that's, that is, you know, that, that's where I just find all of this interesting. One of the things that you're always trying to do, absolutely, is figure out, okay, the easiest is when everything matches up. The, the hardest the numbers, it's all there. Yeah. The easiest, actually, I guess, on the flip side is when there's no tools and there's no performance, well, we don't have to worry about ranking. But it's, the, in, the, it's when those two things are at the, the evidence, statistical evidence, and the tools don't match up, that's where it gets much more interesting. Well, I'd say beyond the tools, just that the scouting looks, the, the scouting reports and the numbers don't match up. And that's, that's where, you know, again, when you talk about tiers of the top 100, the guys in the top 20 for the most part, the tools are good. That are the tools are great. The scouting reports match up, and the numbers match up. You know, the twenty to forty range. You know, similar, although to a lesser degree. And really, once you get down into seventy to hundred, that's where you start getting a lot of guys of one or the other's really good, and you know, you're waiting for the other one to catch up. I do want to talk about a couple of guys who we have had higher on the list before, have dropped in part because one of those two things is now no longer as loud as it used to be. Uh, the first one of those is Mitch Keller, the right-hander with the Pirates. Second is Taylor Trammell, the outfielder with the Reds. And third is Cabert Ruiz, the catcher with the Dodgers. Um, you know, Keller for a couple, you know, last year or so, we've heard a lot more, you know, this is more of a number three starter than a number one or two. Um, you know, Taylor Trammell, great athlete, great person. The numbers are still not what you want. The, the impact for a guy who's probably going to have to play a corner in the eyes of most evaluators is not there. And uh, Cabert Reeves, you know, really, really took some steps back offensively um, this year in double A. Now they bumped him up to triple A. The Dodgers internally have said, you know, you know, it, and it, it is true. It's hard for guys to, you know, get completely motivated when they're repeating a level they've already mastered. And Ruiz did that last year. Uh, they bumped him up to AAA, and we'll, we'll see if that can give him the, the kick he needs. Um, but all three of these guys are still very talented. Again, top 50-ish prospects in baseball, you know, first division players with all-star potential. Um, at the same time, at one point or another, all these guys ranked in the 20s somewhere. Now they're in the 40s and 50s. Just, just real quick on, on these guys in this group, uh, just what was your overall assessment and um, what for you was kind of the, the swinging factor of, hey, we do need to get these guys into this 40 to 50 tier than the top 20 tier, they've, or top 30 tier they've been in. Let's talk about with Cabert Ruiz catching, you know, I, I do, I, I long have believed that catchers often develop slower than other positions because there's so much to it. That said, you know, given those caveats, I am concerned that Cabert Ruiz returned to double A and was worse this year than he was last year. You know, and again, he doesn't strike out, but you know, right now he's not hitting the ball for impact either. So, and then you hear on the catching, it's like, okay, there's still some work to do. Um, I, I'm also concerned with him. I do believe he has more offensive potential than Will Smith, but I do believe also that Will Smith is probably a better defensive catcher both and of Will, which are correct, yes. And I also think that Will Smith's going to get there first because he's already, you know, he's getting there and Cabert Ruiz is not there. And so, again, like I could see a situation if, if Will Smith, we, we talked about with Hadley Rushman. If 
If Adley Rushman's bat we talked about was a grade less, okay, well, he's still going to be really good. Well, what if Will Smith's bat is one grade better than what we think? You know, which, again, is absolutely within the range of potential uh, outcomes. And if it is, with his defense, that's an everyday catcher, isn't it? Yeah, and you could argue he's an everyday catcher even, even without that. Um, it's, you know, been considered he's probably going to be – the guy hits 230 with, you know – 20-ish home runs, maybe a little more. The power keeps growing. Um, you know, may, maybe it might be 220, maybe it might be 230. I mean, it's, it's a 40 to 45 grade hit. Um, but you're right. If all of a sudden, you know, he makes another offensive adjustment, maybe he, you know, all of a sudden he's 250, 260. Yeah, I mean, 250, 20 bombs playing, you know, above average to plus defense behind the plate. Yeah, that's an everyday catcher and, and a first division one. So yeah, again, we talk about a lot, you know, figuring out exactly, you know, the most important tool is always the hit, always, 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 always. That will determine who you are in the big leagues more than anything else. The sense is, yes, Ruiz should have a, a higher uh, grade on that in the end. But you're right, if Smith takes another jump and Ruiz stagnates, then yeah, this is going to be Will Smith's job. And, and that's why you'll see Cape Ruiz is number 52. Will Smith is number 56. There was a larger separation between the two of them for a lot of their prospect careers, but uh, now it's it's neck and neck because of those. And, and on top of that, Smith and Smith getting there first, a lot of times that's half the battle. You get there, you stake your pole in the ground, it's it's your job. And all of a sudden that prospect who is the quote-unquote you know, guy of the future becomes trade bait. I mean, getting there first in a lot of cases is half the battle. Uh, again, and the reality of it is, is if it, it, let's say that Will Smith is absolutely you know, like an everyday catcher. And then let's say on top of that, that, okay, you know, maybe in Cambridge, Ruiz ends up being an everyday quality catcher. Well, that's going to work out. One of the things that stands out for them absolutely is this is still a really good system, even though they don't have many, they can absolutely help the bullpen, but there are not many positions where you look at them and say, okay, they're going to need a lot of help. And so they are they are the team they are the franchise in major league baseball that is best positioned both present and future with the talent they have on their major league roster um a, a lot of it young with Seeger followed by Bellinger followed by Bueller and now you've got the Verdugo group uh you know Matt Beatty coming up Will Smith coming up um you know as long as they replenish some of the pitchers Gavin Lux older, coming up <laughs> Gavin Lux well, well I was gonna say the guys were there already and then now you can add yeah. hey we have Gavin Lux and Dustin May, uh, you know, whether they can replenish the pitching staff as, as Kershaw and Hill age out will be one of the keys. But, no, they're, they're in well, the prime shape. they already got Walker Bueller, you know, who is an ace. Walker Bueller is an ace. And, and now it's just filling out, you know, the future behind him. And they have the arms to do it with May and Gonsolin and a lot of other guys. Um, uh, we'll see what, you know, how it all shakes out. But, but all three of those guys are still talented. They're still top 50, some odd prospects in baseball. It's just, you know, again, reflecting the – uh, both the performance as well as the the scouting feedback. Uh, you know, this is now seen as a more appropriate place for them. Um, I want to hit back on the draft, but guys, real quick. So the top three draft guys that were put in the top 100: Adley Rutschman, Bobby Witt Jr., Andrew Vaughn, all slotted in the order in which they were picked. Starting with C.J. Abrams with the Padres, who was the sixth overall pick, as uh, the next highest draft guy we put in, and. So just to clarify here, with a lot of the draft picks, uh, we at Baseball America, Carlos Colazzo, uh, our excellent draft writer, you know, has, we have the BA 500, which is the rankings as, as the industry sees it. Um, and just, you know, there are a lot of in-person looks there as well. 
T.J. Abrams was ranked number four on the BA 500. And as such, he's the next guy in as opposed to the guy who, you know, went number four in the draft. Um, J.J., with C.J. Abrams, you know, one point was considered maybe in that same tier as Witt. Uh, it did not remain that way, but still a really good player. How much consideration was it for you? I actually want to dive into a little bit with this, being our editor and our, our longest standing editorial member, along with Matt Eddy. You know, when it comes to slotting in the draft picks, what's that debate, slotting them in how they were ranked in the BA 500 versus slotting them in the order they were drafted? Uh, we've always, been going back decades, literally, you know, I, I would say that we, we've always done it with, we're going to, at this point, we're basing it off of what our draft rank. Other than maybe a health issue or something like that, nothing has happened in the past. Again, signing deadline was basically a couple of weeks ago. But for anyone who signed quickly, it was 11 days ago. And it's still pretty recent. <laughs> and, and even for the guys who signed immediately, they're basically a month into their pro careers. You do not want to overreact over a month in any way, shape, or form. And so, with all that, I think you just look at it and you say, okay, we've always looked at it and said, we are going to rank based on how we, again, to the best of our, to the best of our ability, we ranked it based on what we could perceive the industry ranked it as. And now, I would say that the best way I would describe it is, is that we felt like, and again, at the very top of the draft, this draft, there were tiers. The first tier was Adley Rushman on a tier by himself. The second tier was Bobby Witt Jr. and Andrew Vaughn, I think pretty clearly in that order, but those were top the second tier. And then the third tier was kind of that next group, which was C.J. Abrams, you could throw Riley Green, J.J. Blade, filter down beyond that. I would say if you pumped 30 scouting directors full of truth serum, or you just got actual looks at their boards and you said, how did you line up? Let's just say Blade, Green, and, and, and CJ Abrams. There would be very little consensus there. It would be a little bit all over the board. And we had, you know, but again, like you said, we had Abrams consistently kind of the top of that group. And he was kind of one who, uh, again, if it all comes together, he really could be special. By the time, we get to midseason next year where they were ranked in the draft means almost nothing because at that point, everyone has a full season. It's not like you still don't, it doesn't matter that they were really well regarded in the draft or what not regarded in the draft. But again, Tarek Skubal is an example, ninth round pick. Now he's the fringe of the top hundred guy because you look at it now and you say where he was picked and where he was considered as a prospect going into the draft is really immaterial at this point because he has enough of a professional resume that you can evaluate him based on his professional resume. So that's, that's how we try to balance it, I would say. And we mentioned those three guys were kind of in a similar tier. Um, you know, right now they're at number 50, 57, and 60. So they're all within 10 spots for each other, Abrams, Green, and Blade, and kind of reflective of that. Uh, JJ, just moving to the back of the list here before we wrap up real quick. Two pitchers from last year's draft, Jackson Kowar and Logan Gilbert made moves up. Marco Luciano, who was a big, uh, big riser uh, out of the international class last year, uh, is up number 71 right now. Saw Alec Thomas with the Diamondbacks uh, make a move up. 
What for you uh, of these guys who kind of jumped on, Edward Cabrera was another, uh, Brian Mata with the Red Sox was another, all the kind of new additions or, or guys who made these, you know, 30 spot jumps up, who kind of jumped out to you the most as, as you did the midseason reporting and kind of, you know, went through all the discussions with, with evaluators as well as, you know, the staff here at BA? Um, two that you just mentioned that really did jump out to me, Alec Thomas and Brian Mata. Um, starting with Thomas, he's kind of doing a little bit of everything. You're seeing the power, you're seeing the speed. He's got, a, I would say, for, especially for a teenager in the Midwest League, the uh, strikeout to walk is really, really good. He's really just done everything that you kind of would, would hope to see out of a, a, a reasonably prominent prospect in his first full season. You know, also, I mean, let's just, you know, he's, he got that USA baseball experience. He has that experience where the fact that he's from Chicago is not as significant as maybe it would have been two generations ago, but he is kind of coming from a cold weather background and all where you're like, okay, is he going to be a little bit behind some of these Texas, Florida, California kids who probably got, you know, a little bit more, you know, chance to have at bats and all that going, growing up. And no, not, not, not a problem at all. And I just think, I mean, you want to talk about a guy to keep an eye on. He's absolutely a guy to keep an eye on because it's, again, what we just talked about, it's performance to go with, you know, if you're grading out his, you know, his, his physical tools, the speed, the athleticism, the potential for defense, the bat speed, all those kind of things, both of them are, they, they all match up. And then um, Brian Mata, you know, he was a very, very, very well-regarded prospect when the Red Sox signed him. Um, you know, I mean, solid, I'd say solidly regarded. But solidly regarded. Came out, had a really good debut, uh, you know, made it to, uh, you know, to low A as a as 18-year-old, had a very solid season. He goes up to high A last year and had some injuries, but more than that, really control troubles that looked like a probably a one-year blip or anything you know the controls right back where it was and more than that though the controls what it was and on top of that he's got really good stuff you know and that's the part where he, you know he really kind of dominated uh a return to the carolina league gotten the bump up to double a but it's a really firm fastball you know there's four pitches there it's just a a, a very good uh you know, well-rounded assortment. And again, he's a 20-year-old down double A. You know, those are guys who kind of, who do just jump out. Thomas's case, he was very, he was well-regarded in the draft. But you look at this a year later and you say, he's absolutely looks like a better prospect than a number of guys who were taken before him in that 2018 draft. JJ, uh, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me here with uh, Talk Top 100 Prospects. Uh, always fun. And it's fun to be back on the podcast. Like I said, we took a little hiatus there with, uh, life getting in the way, but uh, we'll be back. Like I said, we're, uh, we're not leaving you again. We'll be back every week with a new podcast to discuss all the happenings, major leagues, minor leagues, high school, uh, college. There's, there's a lot of good stuff going on right now. Check it all out on baseballamerica.com. Carlos Colazzo and Ben Bather in Chicago. Uh, Carlos has coverage of the Under Armour High School All-American game. Ben's got some stuff from the Dominican Prospect League going on up there. Teddy Cahill's in the Cape. He's got a lot of college content. Josh is in the GCL, got a lot of good stuff on uh, the newest draft picks. I'm back out in Southern California for good. Uh, I've been back for three days. I've already been to three games, uh, two minor league games yesterday, a major league game Saturday, and I'll be out at two more games uh, tomorrow as well. So 
keep it here for all the latest majors and minors coverage on my end. And uh, we'll just keep churning out. We love what we do here at BA, and uh, we appreciate all your all you are subscribers. For JJ Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Have a great rest of your week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.